G'day humans. Welcome to the show that goes where other shows dare not tread. The show that rejects partisanship and tribalism. I'm Josh Zepps, your humble interrogator, your humble interlocutor, and each week I hunt down the world's most interesting people to wrestle with questions that normally get everyone in a huff. Because so much of modern culture and politics and media, especially social media, panders to what you already believe and distorts what you don't already believe. It reinforces what you're comfortable thinking about. This is not the show for that. We know that change doesn't happen inside echo chambers, so step out of the comfort zone, flex your mind, tread on some landmines, and have some uncomfortable conversations. Today on the show, a fabulous, fiery gal, Anna Marie Cox, American author, blogger, political columnist, critic. Uh, she founded the groundbreaking political blog, Wonkette, which was a kind of a cheeky, smart assy feminist, very inside the beltway, story-breaking, muck-raking political blog that, that shot to to, I suppose, national prominence uh, with a few scandals that it was able to, to break in the early 2010s. And uh, she became a fixture of Washington, D.C., uh, very much a bad girl insider. She became the senior political correspondent for MTV News. Uh, she had uh, a column in the New York Times magazine where she did interviews, well, an, an interview uh, piece. Uh, she was the Washington correspondent for GQ magazine, uh, a contributor for the Daily Beast. I mean, all of the, you know, very, very, very establishment American political media institutions. She was a lead blogger on US politics for The Guardian uh, and an editor at Mother Jones. And then she kind of pretty much turned her back on it all and thought it was all a bit of a joke. She got sober, started thinking about what really matters, had been an early adopter of Twitter, so still had this army of Twitter followers. She got onto the Twitter bandwagon with her kind of feisty political diatribes just when Twitter was taking off amassed over a million followers, which she still has to this day. But now she's a political columnist and culture critic who writes a column about sobriety and about recovery at The Cut. It's called Sober Questioning. She hosts a science fiction podcast called Space the Nation, and she's uninterested in the day-to-day argy-bargy of political commentary. I wanted to find out why. This episode starts a little bit slowly as we try to figure out who she is and who I am, and we sort of sniff each other's bums like dogs in the park who haven't met each other before. Stay with it. It becomes interesting. It becomes a bit fiery when she and I start to disagree about the culture wars and wokeness. I appreciate her stepping up for having a conversation that was uncomfortable on both sides and that I think led to some sort of resolution, as all good, uncomfortable conversations should. Please enjoy the one and only Anna Marie Cox. I was about to just start cooking dinner and be done for the day. <laughs> no, there's just one more thing. Am I really done for the day? One more thing you have to do. 
And in uh, fact, I wasn't quite done for the day. Now I will feel good. Now you'll feel great. Now you'll be like, I got one extra thing done. Yeah. Well, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then you can just order Uber Eats. Uh, no, I'm going to actually cook dinner. Yeah. Uh, hang on. Let me just text my mom. Uh, don't think we have sheets, but we can pick them up after work. I'm currently in the process of living out of suitcases and oh. a hotel room and friends, my friend's place because uh, I have some workmen ripping the stairs out of my my house, which is delightful. Anyone who's ever been through a renovation can uh, can share the delights and wonders of that experience. First world problems. But still. My first marriage survived a renovation, but then fell apart mm. for other reasons. Right. The, Are we sure it was other reasons? <laughs> maybe it was a delayed reaction to the renovation. <laughs> but you've actually just made me remember it. God, I hated it. It was like you know, washing dishes in the in the bathroom sink. That was like the part that really actually bummed me out the most, I think. Yeah, you tried to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, our builder was just like, I mean, you can stay and get a divorce or you can leave. <laughs> 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 and see how you go. <laughs> so I was like, well, we'll leave. You know, we might still get a divorce anyway because uh, having a couple of toddlers in a hotel room, living out of suitcases, pretty ready to just go and find a little tropical island to sip Mai Tais on, chill out. That'll come later. That'll come later. Uh, how are you doing? I'm all right. Uh, you know, in COVID-adjusted terms, like pretty good also just ingrating on the curve of my life good can you turn yourself up a bit or talk a bit nope, closer to the I mic i can try there you go i think is that helpful yeah oh, tell wow. me what you had for breakfast um i didn't really have breakfast but i was just eating some leftover Curry chicken, turkey mm. curry, turkey mm. curry. Yes. Uh, turn yourself up a little more. You're still a little low. Um. So hold on. Well, I'm not sure. This mic is a little like not. Yeah. Then it goes buzzy when you turn up too much. Yeah. That's so, all right. I can deal with is that. Is that okay? Yes, okay. I can live with that. What culture does turkey curry, or is that some obnoxious American? I think mashup? it's just, is that it's a mashup of trying to make curry better for you. Right. Is that cultural appropriation? Is that what that Probably. is? Appropriating Probably. Appropriating the, the curry yeah. of another culture and mashing it up with America's fixation on the driest and least appetizing of poultry meats. Yeah, I actually, so I actually have that because I tried a subscription, you know, like a meal box thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I decided actually that I was not, it's the last meal I got. So. Right, right. What turned you off? I got those for a while. I like them. I am Somewhat not late. reliable enough about cooking dinner for myself. Right. Um, I don't order in. I have just a thing about, I don't, it's the good, you know, Midwesterner in me or something, but it feels really extravagant to order in for one person. So yeah, that's the, that's the joy of it. That's why. I'm yeah. I, just, I do it every once in a while well. and it's a very special occasion. Wow. But, um, you put the candles out and the tablecloth and the well, great sky comes you know, and serves you. I get something I really like that I can't, you know, that 
actually a Korean place that I've been ordering from. Ooh, it's my special yeah. occasion. Um, but, you know, mostly I actually live off Trader Joe's and salads. That's, mm. my, that's my go-to. I would have thought that Korean home delivery is especially tricky because they have 17 different little appetizer kimchi dishes and like fermented beans and things that they have to put into tiny little plastic containers. So it's environmental well, vandalism. Kind of a healthy Korean place that's mm, sort of... More cultural appropriation. Yeah. Well, it is owned by Korean people, but... Okay. Yeah. Right. So anyway, yeah. let's get started. What do you want to... I, yeah. I, I don't... I have... Yeah, I gotta mm. cook dinner at some point. So. You do have to cook dinner at some point. I can. I mean, I got a whole day, so I can just sit here and waffle. I mean, yeah. I got. I got, no, I got nothing to do. Uh, why don't we start by talking about something that by the time people hear this, they're probably going to be sick of hearing people talking about, which is mm. the shooting. Uh, yeah. Um. So, do you think we're crazy, Americans? Like that we have no. loose gun laws? No. Well, I mean, I think that loose gun laws are crazy, totally. Okay. But I don't think right. that Americans are crazy for finding themselves in a situation where they have them. Uh, I think they've... The gun laws themselves, yes. That the would be a better themselves. way to put it. The gun, yeah, laws, the gun themselves laws themselves are, are absolutely are, insane. And actually, completely ludicrous. We should, I, maybe we shouldn't use the word insane, because I have this pet peeve about people blaming mental illness. And as a yeah, sure. Myself. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. maybe you shouldn't call them crazy. They're stupid. They're very stupid. Well... I'm not, I'm not even sure they're stupid. They depend on what your outcome, what you want the outcome. Right, 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 right. Um, they're murderous. They're, they're yeah, they're murderous. They, 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 reliably, <laughs> they reliably lead to lots of children getting killed. Uh, and lots, lots of, of people, people getting killed. killed uh, you yeah. know, an, an unacceptably large proportion of whom uh, to include children. Yeah. Uh, so if you if that is the price that you want to pay for living in a society awash with guns, like if it's really important to you to live in a society awash with guns, then uh, Godspeed. You know that's yeah. that's that's great. Yeah. So I, I mean I'm usually unpopular in expressing this opinion, but like I mean I said it on the air yesterday in Australia, where everyone was like emoting and you know our hearts are with the Americans, and it's so you know perplexing and tragic. I was like, it's not perplexing and it's not tragic. It's the natural consequence of a series oh. of decisions that Americans have made, and that's fine if that's like if i mean you know i'm sorry it's now callous, minority. But... i mean that's the thing yeah is that a majority of americans don't like this and are willing to make changes i'm it's not that... sure i mean i, a majority, I am sure. i am a majority sure. of americans would like to see an assault weapon ban yeah but a majority of americans would still like to see the right to have firearms in the home. Well, we're reason. probably never going to go. There's a certain point which Americans might not ever go, right? Yeah. But um, we can have plenty of stuff that I think Americans do agree on. You know, yeah. waiting periods would make a huge difference because waiting periods wouldn't necessarily stop mass shootings, but um, the m gun deaths in America. The, about 54% of them are suicides. Yeah. And about 43% are murder. And those suicides, waiting periods would help. Waiting Definitely. Was that was actually and waiting periods range. are not controversial. Right. Yeah, and background checks as well. Yeah. Like just requiring... A, anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone's heard this. Uh, but it, that was the big change in Australia when Australia brought in its strict gun laws was on suicides, not so much on homicides. But yeah, suicides, I think, halved. We don't talk um, about it enough here. Australia. Like, I, I think it's, you know, mm. everyone gets upset 
when something like Uvalde happens, no matter how many times it happens, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, people die every day from gun suicides that don't have to die. Yeah, and ordinary unglamorous gun homicides that aren't the mass shootings, of course, massively outnumber the mass shootings. The mass shootings are just more glamorous. I mean, I'm all for um, mobilizing people out of something that, that that's a horrific tragedy, but also every single person that dies from a gun is is a tra- is a tragedy, and a lot of them are preventable. A yeah. lot of them. Yeah. And then I saw someone on Twitter t- saying that uh, the only difference is that Americans use guns, but other countries kill each other with other things, and they had this spreadsheet of. <laughs> Of, of American American mass, if you compare American mass shootings to Australian mass shootings, America looks bad. But they said if you compare American mass debt, mass killings to Australian mass killings, then on a per capita basis, Australia is actually just as bad. <laughs> so there what? was this ridiculous spreadsheet. I mean, like, what even is a mass killing without a gun? There was like... There were claims that like 86 people had been massacred in Australia without a gun. I'm like, what? what is this event? Because I want to see this. I want to see the newspaper article like in a, which a person you know, grabbed like a spoon. Bombing is about the only thing I can think of, right? Like, I mean. <laughs> well, there might be a stabbing. There might be, maybe you could kill You can't a, stab people stabbing. that fast. No, no, you can't. And you yeah, certainly I mean, can't do it from uh, like from the window of a high rise hotel throwing <laughs> knives down on people in a yeah. parking lot below. Yeah, and there's also not a lot of knife fights in video games either. Not that I blame video no. games, but just it, I do think there is a certain amount of desensitization that happens. Mm. Um, it's a combination of the desensitization and the availability, though. Like, yes, if the availability those- wasn't there, then the video games would. They're not a problem. They're not at all against video games. <laughs> I'm just no, saying, no. Like, <laughs> yeah, we I mean, there's also a, it a little. You know, there's also a contagion. Isn't there? I mean, I think there's a slow mo- a slow motion. I can't remember who the like the cultural theorist was who was saying like that. You can you get you get basically the the same dynamic as happens in a mob stampede can happen in slow motion in a culture where like a stampede happens because someone sees that someone else is running and therefore they run and they think the best thing to do is run. I can't. I'm mangling the analogy, but it has something to do with that. And like you can see that in fashion trends. You can see that in the ways that like faith in institutions breaks down and you can see that in things like mass shootings where mm-hmm. the you get the snowball kind of going and then there's enough of a critical mass that that, that becomes the thing that occurs in the mind of the person who yep. has a certain set of conditions that are ripe for it that it wouldn't actually pop into their mm-hmm. head had it not been for the case that there was this was already now a meme and that's the issue with the racially motivated mass shootings as well um that it occurs to people like it becomes the thing like, well, I am a hate filled person. What am I going to do? You know, this, this is what I'll do. It's been patterned for me. Right. Right. Well, they probably don't think I'm a hateful person, do they? They probably think I'm a... a uh, you're right. They from... think I want to lead the white race to whatever, you know. Yeah, but... they think, I, I, you know, we've been under attack for too long by all yeah. of these, you know, filthy races, and I have to stand up and defend. And this is what you do. Like, this is the next yeah. step. If you, once yeah. you get to that point, you're like, okay, what do I do next? This is the next thing I do. And I do think that's a problem in, with American mass shootings as well. Like, there are troubled young people everywhere. Everywhere. Mm. <laughs> You know, it's in our country that this becomes part of the, you know, I don't want to call it a permission structure, obviously, but it's, it's, it's in the landscape. It's part yeah. of the landscape of, of what it means to be 
troubled. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but other countries just don't have that. Yeah. I mean, I guess people just like stay in their basement and like. I mean, they know. might do other violent things. Sure. Right. I guess. But the point about gun violence, as I was going to say, it's about suicides too, is that guns are just so fucking effective. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, I hate, so I'm a suicide attempt survivor, and I bring that up with a little bit of, ex- I do have some expertise on this, Yeah. Um, which is that most suicide attempts um, or suicide ideations are fairly fleeting. It's impulsive. Mm. It's something people do in the moment. Um, and the, the cliche you hear is probably accurate. You know, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yeah. And in fact, most people who commit suicide, especially gun suicide, are not mentally ill they are situationally depressed yeah um which is you know a, a form of depression is a form of mental illness but they're not someone who has like a chronic diagnosis yeah and this is most common like with men who do this that they're lost a job lost a marriage whatever and they may be intent on committing suicide but because they have a gun that's 90 percent effective whereas yeah. If they had had to take pills or try to suffocate, whatever. Like, I don't want to go through the list. But mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, we all know. <laughs> yeah. But it's, and that's true with like, oh, they're going to find another way to commit violence too. Sure. Mm. Mm. But like we were saying about the knives, like, it's just guns are, they're built to do mainly one thing. Yeah. Knives are not. Even well, knives have more than one use. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And they're not very good at the, at the person killing. Yeah, uh, yeah. of their of their utility, <laughs> right? Uh, why why did you try to kill yourself? Um, I mean, I was still an active alcoholic, and uh, suicides a su- like there's I, I almost don't believe the statistic, but it rings true in my gut. Something like thirty percent of people in active addiction will attempt suicide at some point in their lives, and it's. A hopeless condition. That's to me a good definition of addiction. It's hopelessness. And, you know, I thought my life would never change. I thought I was always going to feel the way that I felt. And And did you identify alcohol as being the cause of the feeling or the solution to it? Oh, it both, like Homer Simpson says. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Um. Yeah, I mean, it helped me deal with the pain, but I also recognized that it was the cause of my problems. And I also, at that point, thought I couldn't stop. I tried to stop drinking and and couldn't. And I thought I was doomed, you know? Um, And I thought, at the time, I incorrectly thought I had been abandoned. I, it, it just wasn't the case, you know, for real, but I felt that way. And I just didn't want to be in pain anymore. And I, I, it, I always compare it. Like, I hate it when people say, oh, I thought about suicide, but I wasn't brave enough. It's not about bravery. It's about desperation. Hmm. Um, and I think the best comparison is an animal with its leg caught in a trap, you know, like it's not brave to chew your leg off, you know, like, it's just what you have to do. And right. that's what I think for 
other people I've talked to feel the same way. There is nothing about like, I, oh, God, it just bugs the shit out of me when people say I wasn't brave enough to try. It's not about huh. that. It's you weren't quite desperate enough. You you didn't feel quite hopeless enough. Right. So, but that's That's passing. interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, okay. I won't dwell on that because otherwise it'll consume the whole hour. I'm fascinated yeah. by it though. I mean, I mean, in the sense that, that psych psychiatrists do say that there is a, there is a point that's so low that the person is so hopeless that they are not a suicide risk. And then as people start to get better, there's actually a, an increased risk of, mm. of suicide as, because they realize that they're actually capable of something like, uh, Anyway, and that and that part. My of that, understanding is actually there's a lot about suicide that's not understood. That it's. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, because how are you going to do a study? You know. Um, well, I mean, anyway. psychiatrists. Yeah, they can look at the people who they managed to successfully get out of the hole, and the ones who they didn't. I suppose, and see if there are any any lessons. But let's talk about politics, and let's talk about <laughs> Twitter and social media. <laughs> um, because why right. did you why did you get into political? Uh, reporting and political commentary and why did you sort of get out of it well i am a failed um academic uh i thought my whole you know childhood and all through college i thought i was going to be a professor um that's my dad's a math professor and i, I didn't want to do math but uh i love school i love the life that i saw my dad leading you know like getting to be smart all the time yeah. Uh, and his work schedule, I didn't, I knew I never wanted to work in an office. I remember having that be like a very strong <laughs> opinion mm. of mine as a, you know, young punk rocker. Uh, there's that scene in Say Anything where Jack Cusack is like, I don't want to sell anything or buy anything or make any, you know, anyway, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it's a good scene. So Lloyd, you graduated Lakewood, right? Yes, sir. What are you going to do now? Yeah, Lloyd. What are your plans for the future? Spend as much time possible with Diane before uh, she leaves? Seriously, Lloyd. I'm totally and completely serious. No, really. You mean my career? Um, I don't know. I've, I've <clears throat> thought about this quite a bit, sir, and I, I would have to say, considering what's waiting out there for me, I don't want to sell anything buy anything or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed or buy anything sold or processed or process anything sold, bought or processed or repair anything sold, bought or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. So uh, my father's in the Army. He wants me to join, but I can't work for that corporation. Um, so what I've been doing lately is kickboxing. Um. And then I got to graduate school, and it was the mid-90s glut of academics in the U.S. Um, job market. And it was also a time when universities were beginning to lean. It was becoming clear how hard they were leaning on adjuncts and graduate students to supply, to be teachers. Right. And to, to supply mostly uncompensated or poorly compensated labor. And... uh. I saw a future in which I would have to work really, really hard to make very little money or possibly even go into debt in order to be on a job market where my chances were very bad 
Hmm. <laughs> you know, and even if the best job I could get as like, you know, a newly minted PhD was probably not going to be for very much, right? Or I could go into journalism where I still wouldn't make a lot of money, but I wouldn't have to get a PhD. (laughs) (laughs) So I started writing about politics, but again, always kind of inflected with popular culture. Um, Sort of it went reverse from where I started. And then uh, I had a personal blog that this guy named Nick Ditton saw and liked it and so he hired me to do Wonkette and I did Wonkette for a few years and that sort of solidly put me in the politics category. And that became a pretty big political blog and you were the first editor of it. I was one of the people on the forefront of not of the the daily showization of political coverage. Right. I guess. Right. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested in what the, in the bigger thing that you were trying to do, if anything, because I mean, you're, you're being sort of modest in saying like, well, I was just bouncing around and trying to find a place where I wouldn't starve. So, I mean, just fast forward through all of your, um, political writing accomplishments, uh, at MTV, like that, the New York Times (laughs) magazine. And then, uh, but did you, I mean, am I right that you sort of lost the faith? I, I found my faith and I lost my faith. <laughs> um, so I wound up, so I mentioned I, I attempted suicide and, and I actually was on assignment for a magazine. I won't get into detail um, when I did it and wound up. Some people noticed I disappeared rather abruptly from Washington. You know, like my Twitter went silent. And I was in rehab and they don't let you have, or this rehab, some rehab let you have your phone. I couldn't have my phone, you know, or email, which effectively cut me off, you know, from, from DC. Yeah. Uh, And I had this, I've written about this moment. I had this very life-changing moment where it, so the place I went, you know, Rehab is normally, probably in Australia too, like 28 days, 30, 30 days. Uh-huh. And it became clear that I was a pretty hard case. Um, and they suggested I stay for another three months. And wow. my first reaction was, but I'll miss the White House Correspondence Dinner. <laughs> Priorities. And I heard that come out of my mouth and I realized I was... I will use the word crazy. Right. Here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I could save my life and not go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner or plunge back into the pit of darkness and despair from yeah. which I came and go to the White House Correspondents' Yeah. <laughs> I'll take option B. Thank and you. that's sort of how recovery kind of worked for me a lot of the time was it just, I would hear myself talk, you know. Mm. Um, and be like, and also death was a really real, really real, sorry. Um, because I had such a, you know, what they call a low bottom with a suicide attempt. And also my mother had cirrhosis at the time. Um, death was always a real, you know, behind door number three problem for me. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes when I didn't like the kinds of things that they would suggest I try, to recover from my alcoholism, I would just remind myself, well, 
if it doesn't work, <laughs> there's always death and drinking, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, like, I remember uh, my mom came to visit me at rehab. She was also trying to get sober. Um, but she told me, and she'd been to rehab, and she uh, said, she was sober actually at the time she visited, which might be the only time in either of our lives we were both sober at the same time since I was an adult, but huh. um, she, we were sitting out on the porch and she said, do they, she said, how do you feel about the God stuff? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really have any strong feelings about it. And she said, really? She said that you don't feel stupid, like getting on your knees to pray. Cause that's the highly recommended method. Right. And I was like, well, I did a, bunch more stupid stuff than that when i was drinking <laughs> like <laughs> i mean I, I it's really hard for me to top the stupid shit i did drinking yeah like everything getting down on my knees alone at night just yeah. not in, even in like the top 100 <laughs> like, yeah that's interesting uh and i talked to my scout my counselor also was real smart you know sh she knew i was a smarty pants and she said you know the prayer that we suggest the reason prayer is suggested it's not about having to believe in god it's a good habit it's a practice it's a meditation practice and it is a you, you are bringing structure into your life and also i can't remember where i heard this it wasn't my counselor but it was really helpful for me to hear like the reason why we there are lots of reasons to pray but one reason even if you don't believe in god to pray is to hear yourself talk about what it is that you want right yeah, that's interesting. Because that can be very revealing. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Yeah, but so, I, so I was like, I don't have a problem. I was like, I don't have a problem with it. I'll just go go ahead and mm, pray. Mm. Fine. You know, they they say I should do it or I might die. All right, I'll pray. <laughs> Even if I don't believe. And then I eventually came to believe, but that's another story at first. So has has the change in politics influenced that you're uh, oh, uninterested yeah, I was writing politics. about politics or has, <laughs> the, getting, has it only getting, this personal transformation? I was getting to the politics part. Um, so I got out of rehab and continued to write about politics and had the, some, you described MTV, New York Times, uh, Guardian. Um, but then I actually will say that, yeah, there was a change um, when Trump was elected. I had a real, um, yeah, real crisis. Um, also, almost literally of faith. Uh, the idea that, you know, God would allow what seemed to be so transparently cruel um, to happen really bothered me. And then the next thing that happened was, it was I'm so grateful um, I was lucky enough to, you know, work in some fairly diverse newsrooms. And if you tell a person of color, I can't believe God let Trump get elected, they've got some news for you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. God has allowed some other things to happen. Yeah. Well, like you think America hasn't been right may even be before? worse. Yeah. Yeah. You think there hasn't been a racist in charge before? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, not just forget about the White House. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. My slavery. I mean, were, if my grandparents were Holocaust survivors, they'd probably have oh, something to say about, yeah, about God it, as well. You know, the, the, the 
place of privilege that comes like when you say that. Um, yeah, I, I don't think my that's toe. a reason. Why would the creator of the universe right. allow me to stub my toe? Yes, that is actually, that's the way I kind of look at it. That's where I've fallen in the whole, why does God let bad things happen? It's because the universe is enormous and we don't underhand, uh, understand the scale. And also, I could be wrong. I've always very clear. I, I hate to argue with atheists because I'm always like, yeah, you have a point. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, just to... to I just like, choose no, like, not to do... I just made a different choice. As someone like, who doesn't who doesn't believe in in the gods of the book, the idea that the creator of the, of the universe would take a personal interest in who wins the US election seems to me like yeah. so obviously ridiculous and parochial. That, yeah, it was like, stupid. Funny. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty stupid way to think about it. And I, I also confess it was a kind of a place of... I was in a particularly weak place. It's not like I went around thinking that before. It was yeah, just, right. Yeah, it was a big fucking deal, right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like I'm, you know, I'm not the only, you know, white lady this happened to. Thank God. But what happened for me after Trump was elected is that I realized I needed to shut up. Um, a lesson that kind of started with that telling i saying to someone like i can't believe you know thank god it was a friend who, <laughs> who pointed out like you know and actually it was funny i remember but even before he was elected if you may recall hillary's kind of closing argument was don't elect the racist and i remember talking to a black journalist at one of the debates who was like oh no america might elect a racist <laughs> and he was predicting like that's not gonna work you know like, in fact, some people might think that's a feature and not a bug, right? So, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm undecided about a lot. Anyway. I, I think there was a lot more that Hillary had not going for. Oh, uh, oh, I, I agree. Like, but for a closing argument, like that was a shitty closing. Well, it argument. did. It was a shitty closing argument, partly because it wasn't, it didn't tell anyone why she was a good yeah. candidate, and partly because it's just such a cheap shot that tries to dodge. Uh, any of the substance of what of what made Trump bad, and like, you're also not motivating people of color with that for the reasons that my friend, you know, was saying. Yeah, like, although know. I think your friend is also being disingenuous if they're like, I mean, you know, yeah, racists have been with us forever, but it's twenty, it's twenty sixteen now, and so we're hoping that somewhat sarcastic yeah like there are degrees of bad and trump was worse Uh, oh i mean that's not the argument it's just like you but it's true i do think he's speaking from a place of knowledge to say that he didn't think that that was a very motivating argument yeah totally no that was his that was his point was that she's not going to get the turnout she needs yeah I mean, it's interesting that people of color voted for Trump more in the second election in his, when he ran the second time than he did the first time. It, like significant increases, especially among Latinos. Yeah, but mainly Latinos, and there's complicated reasons for that. Let, let's go. Let's move on. So, yeah. um, so I get I, I was just lucky enough to start having conversations with people who knew more about social justice than I did as a good white liberal and. It just occurred to me that I had been living a life where I thought my politics were pretty excellent and that I was fighting on the right side and that's all I needed to do. And I think what the Trump election showed me upon reflection was that, no, that's actually, it's not enough to just have the right opinions. Um that I need to look at my own life 
and take responsibility for the privileges I've had and also take responsibility for my my fellow white people who kind of are fucked up sometimes. And that's sort of what happened with with friends like these is the shows kind of started as like, oh, my God, what's up with these Trump voters? And then it became, well, what's up with these white liberals? Yeah. Um, why do we think we're so smart? And that, you know, and not just white liberals, but like I very I'm very proud of the fact that we had a, a fair amount of disabled activists on, you know, queer and trans people um, who were the people who were, were shouting about Trump. You know, way before there was a Trump. Yeah. And we, you know, a lot of Democrats didn't listen. And I think for me, what has happened is I write less about politics, but I think a lot more about the implications of my actions. And I know I've gotten a lot more serious about direct action. Um. I stopped going to protests for the most part after I became a journalist, not because I have like a real, like, I mean, a lot of places I worked wouldn't have liked it, but also like, I was like, oh, I'm already doing my job. Right. I'm encouraging people to go to protests. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, uh, in 2020, I actually knocked on doors for Elizabeth Warren the first time I'd participated in an electoral politics in the... I don't know, like 16 years, uh, you know, and I marched, um, when the Muslim ban happened and I marched, uh, when the immigration <laughs> situation, well, it's still bad. Um, but when we first found out about the children in cages, I guess. And I feel like I don't know. I mean, I still write about politics and I don't want to give that up. And I still think it's important for people to express. I mean, I think I have, you know, talent in expressing things and can help people see things um, in a way that will help them understand the world a little better. But also, you know, like, I mean, I don't know, like, I don't take every speaking engagement i'm offered anymore i don't i mean i'm I'm like maybe you should have a trans person talk about that (laughs) maybe you should have somebody you know like i think before i wouldn't i'd be like well i know the right opinion about this issue so i see i'll go ahead and do it yeah even though in theory you could have asked me then who should talk about this and i'd be like oh well the person who's had the experience of course except of course i am smart and i have the right opinion yeah. It's okay if I do it. I mean, um, I share your frustration with smug liberals who like to talk about how clever they are, but I also wonder if the, I mean, what do you make of the, of the critique that the problems with the left, that the left currently has in winning and connecting with Heartland America have as much to do with a kind of obsession with identity and obsession with first person experience and obsession with kind of populating the the space with as many tokenistic, uh, you know, trans people as they possibly can. And instead of getting back to 
uh, hip pocket traditional labor oriented left wing perspectives that feel you know, like that you don't. With. Yeah, I feel like you shouldn't have to make a choice. You know, I do think it's easier sometimes to do the performative stuff, and I'm for the performative stuff. I want to be clear. Like, it's weird to call it performative, but it's important. Representation is important. But the reason why you have those people up there is to talk about ways to organize and help each other. Right? Like, it's not, and that needs to be the thing that we're doing. Like, you, when I talk to someone with a different experience and I want them to talk about, you know, smug white liberals, I don't want to just talk about how smug white liberals are the problem and we need to have more representation on TV. Like, it's we need to have representation on TV so that these people can talk about the political problems that they that we have. Right. Um, like. And also, by the way, you don't you shouldn't just have trans people on talk about trans issues or black people. You know that. I mean, that's so obvious. Right. Like. Representation well, I don't know. I don't think that's obvious to a lot of young, uh, oh, young progressives. Well, I think a lot of young progressives think, I mean, I, it's obvious to me that, that that a person could have an idea about policy, even if they didn't belong to the, um, the group, you know, for whom the policy was devised. But I, I right. think that's so increasing, you could have increasingly a, unpopular idea. For instance, you could have a trans person talk about labor rights and not trans issues. Sure. But you couldn't <laughs> have a labor, a labor union organized to talk about trans issues. Um, I think you'd have to. Make sure you had all your bases covered. Yeah, well, right? one of those bases like, would be that you'd have to be trans. Well, you know, what does this person bring to, like, it's, well, it's a question of, like, what does this person bring? What knowledge does this person bring? For instance, if a labor organizer wanted to talk about having, to, uh, if a labor organizer had had an experience with trans rights, like, for instance, someone in their union got fired for being trans, I would think the labor organizer should talk sure yeah right? i mean in that case they would because the labor union's opinion would align with the trans or not i mean whatever yeah. like it, it, it but i don't think i that... think there would be pushback if a labor union organizer was defending the rights of like the korean workers in the spa who didn't want to wax the balls of a trans woman uh, um, and the labor union there yeah, would be then, pushback that, from people who like... disagree Sure. I mean, everyone can talk about anyone can talk about anything. Honestly, like I don't care. Like if you're well, going to have an opinion today, though, different of mine, that they like, can't. Well, no, he can. People do that. People go on TV and say things I disagree with, and rep and and say things about communities that they don't represent all the fucking time. Yeah, and they frequently get hounded out of their jobs. <laughs> no, they don't. And tell me someone who got hounded out of their jobs. Tell me someone who got hounded out of out of their job. Oh, I mean, Barry Weiss, uh, Andrew Sullivan. She, she, who's now making $800,000 a year with her newsletter. and she. I didn't say there own. wouldn't be other good jobs. So I think that matters. I think the fact that there are other good jobs out there matters. You can't argue that someone pays an economic price or a professional price if what happens next is that they get a better job. Really? Yeah. Well, the labor, I mean, that would, you can still fire. Although I would love to have a labor union that says you can't get fired for having a particular opinion. Sure. I mean, that's not the world. It would be against the law to get fired just because your boss doesn't like your opinion. And your boss wouldn't be able to fall back on the excuse of, well, they went off and got another better job. No, I mean, if you. No, no, no. But but also it's a, we're at will country, basically. Like people can get fired for any reason. Like it, it, if you can say I got fired for whatever, like. I, anyway, I don't think 
I don't think it would hold up in court. I think it'd be very hard for Barry Weiss to, for one thing, Barry Weiss quit. Again, Barry Weiss quit. Yeah, she quit she because quit. she, I mean, you asked me to give you know, one Glenn example. Greenwald we're going to go quit. through every, we're go through every single quit example. And also make some more money than he did before. Like, so I'm not clear I'm what you're it, arguing. It, it, are you saying that there's no, there is, there are no situations in America in which there's a, there's an environment of sort of coercive groupthink that people feel pushed out of because they're, they're some, not, yeah, they're they're not some, obeying the right opinion. Sure. There are some teachers here in Texas who wanted to teach about various civil right liberties and they got pushed out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And they don't, they haven't been hired anywhere else. And it doesn't happen on the other side. I think I would like to have a longer conversation about this with some examples. Yeah. I think I don't quite, I mean, I, I look at this a lot. It's not that people don't pay prices. It's that I don't know. I mean, there have to be consequences from some things. I mean, consequences like, you know, if I get fired for having an opinion, like, that sucks. Although I've mostly worked on contract my entire life. So, like, I am I might have been fired for having opinions. <laughs> it's sort of part of being in the media. Yeah, it's part of me in media. Um, like, I, I mean, again, I would like to have a contract that doesn't let me get fired, <laughs> like, for expressing any opinion at all. But, um, you know... I've sort of got lost for what my point was. But I, my main thing is that I don't think that these high-profile cases are good examples. No, but the, but but you just asked me, and so I, I, I mean, if yeah, you want me to so go like, away and talk to the, because I can talk, find lots talk to of the foundation for academic freedom about the examples of academics who have been pushed out, sidelined. I mean, like, it's just, I think that the 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 noise that is being made is largely from the right. But I think you can find far more censorship of social justice ideas and far more consequences. Yeah, um, but I mean, it wouldn't the conclude. Uh, no, but I, but I mean, I, I don't think anybody's saying that this is purely a, a left wing phenomenon. They're saying that the chilling of, that chilling effects are bad. I mean, the right has been doing. But the right, but the, ch but the chilling. It's, again, you can't say it's a chilling effect if Mary Weiss is earning eight hundred thousand dollars a year with a newsletter. Where is the chill? How did she, how did her, you know, our culture at large is not chilling. People may feel like they can't, like they'll get backlash on Twitter if they say something unwoke. Fine. You know, they, that's probably true. Like, I'm afraid sometimes of saying stuff on Twitter. I, 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 have, I have erased tweets that I feel like, ugh, someone might get mad. Mm. But you know what? I'm okay well, with I'm, that. Well, I'm not sure that fine <laughs> is the answer. I mean, I was talking to Peter. Well, I'm okay with that because, like, what is my, what do I really want to do on Twitter? Like, what, what is, what do I feel like my purpose on this platform well, is? Well, hopefully have conversations in good faith. Well, yeah, but no, actually, no. <laughs> if you, you think don't? Twitter is about having conversations in good faith. No, you said, I, what do I want to do on Twitter? Oh, no, no but I know it's not good no. for that. I know what I want to do on Twitter is mainly make jokes and support causes that I believe in. And mm. uh, ask people to send me pictures of their pets. I mean, I think, what, I think what you're I think what you're alighting here is the difference between pushing back on someone's opinion with other reasons and more argument. In other words, a, a sort of constructive, rambunctious environment of debate in which people are justly pilloried for bad ideas and like in which intolerant ideas can be excluded from the the public square through good argumentation. 
versus what I think the critics of the current climate are saying is that it isn't good argumentation that's coming back in response. It's quote unquote cancel culture. In other words, like I was, I had did a few events recently with Peter Singer, the the ethicist, and he was saying like, of course there should be consequences to people's speech, but those consequences should come back in the form of good arguments against the point that you're making. If the if the if the consequence that comes back is you should be fired for saying the thing, and when you say why, the answer is because it's a bad thing to say. That's not conducive to a, a good intellectual culture. I agree. And I mean, that's it, it, to the extent that I think that's why they shouldn't have the don't say gay bill in, in Florida, for instance. Right. Yeah, um, I'm sure. And, I mean, you can and, keep like changing the subject. I'm just saying, like, I don't think the cancel culture is coming. F- <laughs> I think the cancel culture is happening in a much more insidious way from the right. But that's what about say, You sound like Putin saying. No, I do not. Sound, I do not sound well. like fucking Putin. Well, you like, do to me because you changed because, the subject. Because you know what? Because the people who are making because because the people who are like banning critical race theory, who are banning discussion of human sexuality in Texas, they just issued a six like a list of like forty banned books by Texas school districts. But we all know. Um, this. No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, let me finish. Let me finish my point. Okay. Those are laws. That people are making. Those are laws. Those are people in power who are passing laws about what you can and can't say, right? What you're talking about is someone getting hounded off of Twitter. That's not a law. That is not using the legal apparatus of the state, which ultimately ends in a gun, as we know, you know, to to keep someone from saying something. Sure, people on the left do, you know, hound people for sure, right? I have not seen very many, at least, I can't think of an example top of my head, liberal legislators making laws about what people can talk about in classrooms. Well, no. That's the just, difference. That's the difference. That, but yeah, I mean, you've just said things that I already grant you and that everybody would grant you, which is that the right is, is obsessed with cancel culture as well. I mean, I, I said earlier, it's like not, McCarthy no, no, is a power of difference. It's a difference, though. It's the right is the one making. I know, but I'm, right I'm interested in why someone is in to enforce this. Do I get Whereas, to talk like, yet? Sure, it's oh, yes, of course. Sorry, I'm interested in why someone as intelligent as you isn't interested in interrogating the actual point. Like, let's agree that the right is completely hypocritical on this. Let's agree that right wing shrieks about left wing cancel culture are totally disingenuous and hypocritical. Let's agree that long before there was left-wing cancel culture, there was right-wing cancel culture in the form of McCarthyism. And, and like, yeah. you know, people are like, oh, you can't make any jokes these days. Like, if Monty Python was on these days, then, you know, they wouldn't be able to do all of these outrageous things anymore because they'd get canceled. And I say to them, when Monty Python made Life of Brian, they almost did get canceled because religious conservatives didn't want the, the church being mocked. Like when they were actually producing this stuff, it was the right that was objecting to it. So let's grant all that and park it. And then we no longer have to point to it as a, but, 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 but they do it as well. Instead yeah, of like, we actually well, have, the, they or they do well. it worse, or they do it in this way, or they do it in schools, or they do it in laws. Let's actually interrogate the thing that I think is, is being elided, which is that which is this more subtle uh, climate. And you can deny that it exists. I mean, that would be another position to take. But either it, either it doesn't exist or it's a thing. And if it's a thing, then maybe it's worth understanding. 
in which case it's worth understanding in the absence of... It's just one of those things where it's like, it's the scale. And maybe if you're saying you're just willing to grant me that the problem people, I just feel like people passing laws about what you can discuss and can't discuss and people, you know, creating school systems that are blinkered by this is a bigger problem than someone getting attacked on Twitter. Yeah. I just I, do. I, I mean, one of the reasons why I think Should why people I'm get so... attacked on Twitter or not? I mean, I'd be, I wish they didn't. I mean, one of the reasons why I'm I'm so worried about the cultural situation we find ourselves in is because I do think that each side ratchets up the other side. So I don't think it's really uh, useful to 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 blame the other side as if they're doing this thing in isolation. Like the when you actually talk to the people who are passing these noxious, discriminatory, don't say gay bills, they think that they're defending the rights of young people not to have their minds polluted by what they feel is an overly aggressive push towards discussing issues of sexuality and gender at a young age. And are they 99% wrong about that? Yes. But is there a 1% kernel of truth that we have become extremely aggressive, maybe on the left, about insisting that there is no such thing as gender or that gender is invented or that it has no mooring in biological sex and that anyone can choose their gender and are we insisting that that is a truth like a scientific truth and a cultural truth in a way that makes them feel like they're belittled and makes them feel like their religious interpretation of sex is not only a difference of opinion that they're allowed to have but something that is going to get steamrolled out of existence in the future and so is is their response a backlash like to me there are a couple of snakes like sniping at each other and it's worth understanding where the venom is coming from on both sides rather than just always pointing at the other snake if that makes sense i hear you i think what i get caught on is the fact that I think the points that you are raising, which aren't, I disagree. I think you, I won't pick out, <laughs> I disagree with some of it, but I, I think I understand your general point, which is that the left has a, um, I would say it's a circular firing squad problem, but that they, um, there are people on the left that do want to shout down or express extreme hurt over issues of identity, okay? Yes. And I also think that corporations have chosen to overreact in public spheres rather than to have genuine changes in their offices, for instance. Mm. Um, I think that it's much easier to fire or discipline someone than it is to hire more people who might look more different, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or to make significant changes in your personnel, you know, uh, regulations. But, like, if we're going to talk about, it's, it's interesting to me that it's hard to talk about cancel culture without talking about trans issues. Um, it gets, whenever I have a discussion or watch a discussion about it, it always comes up. Mm. Um, usually around the way that you've said it. Is it okay? Why can't we just say that, you know, is it wrong to say there are just two genders or whatever? And I, 
know, I have a trans friend who is much more articulate about this than me, Parker Malloy. Encourage people to go and search out her stuff. But I'm going to try to recapitulate some of the things that she's expressed to me, which is the thing about picking out that particular debate is that when you make this issue about why can't there just be two genders a meta topic, right? Like you're not actually arguing about the rights of trans people. You're making it about yeah, some about philosophical thing. Yeah, right. You are in some ways actually dehumanizing the issue, right? You're not talking about the actual lived experience of a trans person. You're just like making it about somehow this, again, this philosophical debate about, can you say that there are two genders? Mm. Um, like she won't, she actually has a story, like she won't do TV anymore because every time she tries to talk about like the issue of bathroom bills or whatever and like what they mean for trans people someone's like there are just two genders and she's like whatever yeah <laughs> <laughs> fine okay believe there are two genders i'm talking about you know creating an atmosphere where my people aren't considered second-class citizens that's her concern yeah right? but i mean that that if i think if you led with that then you would have so much less hostility in America. Right. And, and I mean, and as Fox a person would have no programming. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, really, I mean, and, and I mean, as I'm, I'm married to a guy who has, and our, our, many of our family friends are, are delightfully tra flamboyant trans um, people. And, and the reason why, I raised trans as an example a moment ago is because of the specific example that you gave of the Texas don't say gay law, which is, I think, less about gayness. Florida is about Florida. Sorry, Florida. Gay. What Florida. Texas has Texas has done is deemed that uh, gender affirming care is child abuse. Yes, that's right. Which yeah. is actually I mean, they're both terrible. Uh, so Texas one is. I mean, my, I mean, my sense, and I, I won't keep you forever. This has been a, a fruitful and interesting argument, but the, I, I mean, my sense, which I'll get your thoughts on finally, is that, um, it's, it's not so much about the circular firing squad, although that exists. I think the concern as it's articulated by the more reasonable people who share this concern, like John Hyatt, would be, there's just a level of certainty of self-certainty at the moment that is unbecoming for intellectual people and for academics that instead of having a sort of a slight, a bit of intellectual humility and saying, look, my belief is that, you know, all let's not even use the example of trans. Cause as you say, it is, it is, you know, needlessly Ultimately dehumanizing. I feel like yes, like it's dehumanizing and it's sort of needlessly controversial. And, you know, right. when you're putting people's lives on the line, but, um, you know, what's another left-wing topic? Let's talk about maybe uh, in, in, in an Australian contemporary example, it might be, for example, Indigenous uh, issues or First Nations rights. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the the requirement to have an acknowledgement of country, as they call it, before any, any broadcast or something where you acknowledge the traditional owners of the land or something like that. Like if you put that in an American context, you know, maybe that's another, another thing that people would sort of raise their eyes at or snick, snicker behind their hands if they had to had to do it. Yep. Um, and instead of taking an opinion of like, w I think this is a nice inclusive thing. Why don't we do this? It's no skin off our nose. Uh, it doesn't matter if you get it wrong. It doesn't matter if you say the words a bit wrong. 
Uh, it doesn't really matter when you do it, but it's a cool thing to do. Instead of that being the vibe, the vibe seems to be we now live in a world in which we know that this nation is founded on white supremacy. And as penance for that, you as a white person who is guilty of being complicit in the superstructure of white supremacy, whether you want to admit it or not, are going to say these words in like this Stalinist show trial and you're going to read this Marxist script. And if you don't, there's going to be fucking hell to pay. And you're not going to be invited to polite society and you're not going to be invited to cocktail parties and you're not going to be employed by the New York Times. But who cares? Because you're going to go off and you're going to make $800,000 on your little alternative sub stack. But in, in the real world, in the real media, in the real like Brooklyn elite, you're going to be fucking persona non grata unless you say these fucking words, you can't. Like that is the that is the vibe that people are getting from the left. That's the vibe. I mean, that's okay, the vibe that's they're the getting vibe. from the left. I don't think that's. And the it's truth. feeding into the it's feeding into the backlash. I'm sure that is the vibe, and the problem is I don't think it's the truth. I mean, first of all, the people that I've heard express the kind of like you have to say this and say it in a certain way, and you you know we are whatever this white supremacy and can't ever forget it are mainly white people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm and not putting so this on minorities at all. This, this is, is a university-educated white elite. This is a, and this is a place where actually going back to like why we have representation, why we should have representation, is I would like to have more indigenous people and people of color making decisions about that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like asking around, like, is this the thing you want? Because I've talked to, I don't want to, my friends don't speak for all indigenous people, but I'll tell you, not every indigenous person I've ever talked to thinks that land acknowledgements are a great idea. Mm. You know? like. And you, you're not going to be able to do a poll of all people, but your individual institution can probably find some, you know, historians and find some indigenous people and find, you know, like there can be a decision made with the input of the people you're supposedly trying to honor, mm. right, to talk about it rather than this, this is why I'll say performative white guilt. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like terms like and Latinx and stuff that white people. Well, Latinx but... actually, I mean. It actually has a history beyond just these current days. I mean, have you seen the yes. polling from, from I agree. Americans I agree. No, I, 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 I mean, I don't. And again, yes, that actually we're making. Yes, we are on the same page here because ask some people what they want. And like, yeah. so my friend Parker on trans issues, she would rather talk about the bathroom bill. than she mm. would talk about whether or not there are two genders. Yes. Yeah. She would like to talk about the much higher numbers of trans people's being assaulted in bathrooms than trans people. There's hardly, in fact, you cannot find this idea that trans people are assaulting little kids is like a folktale, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, what does happen is trans people get assaulted themselves in bathrooms, mm. Mm. right? So she would rather talk about that than, the, than whether or not there are two genders or whether or not it's inherent or whether whatever. And so, yeah, so like with Latinx, I would rather talk about, I would, you know, you have, you, I think it's weird to have when we, and you are right, this is the place that the left is stuck in. And that I want to actually say the left, this is the place where the news media is stuck, which is performatively liberal progressive. Mm. They're stuck in a place where they think what it means to have a debate over Latino issues is to have people debate Latinx, yeah. right? And not debate like there is a genuine real and thorny issue I have no answers for here in Texas about the Latinos voting more um, GOP. Sorry, that's my doggy. <laughs> um, I have a neighbor coming. Um, her stuff. 
we did dog okay. training this morning. Um, and so <laughs> she's, I have in my setup in my backyard, I have like dog jumps and she's getting them. And, That's so uh, cute. Yeah. What is so, she? Um, my dog is a he. Hold oh, on. Okay, I'm actually going to go let him out. Hold yeah, on. go, go. I am very sorry about that, but. That's um, okay. It's cute because I miss having a dog. So oh, well, I like to vicariously uh, experience your yeah. dog barks. Um, his, he loves his trainer very, very much. So he really was upset that he wasn't being able to say hi to her. Oh. He was picking up our dog jumps. And oh. whatnot, so I let him out to go say hi. Um, That's cute. Uh, uh, so I was saying, I mean, I do think, so this problem is that is white people trying to performatively erase this bad taste, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Um, by doing these things they think are the opposite of white supremacy, whatever that means, mm. right? Mm. Yes. Whereas... What is probably a good idea or cisness or whatever, like, to, yeah. you know, is is to talk to the people that you're trying to help. Yeah, it's actually a weird word. Also, don't try to help them. <laughs> Another thing is like put them in charge. Yeah. You know, like just say here we are thinking about doing a disability rights, you know, um, program. Hey, you disabled people. Hey, let's hire a bunch of, you know, let's bring in people who know what, who know what this is like. And this yeah. is like where lived experience does matter, right? Yeah. Like this is where you want lived experience. Not necessarily just to talk about disability, but what would be helpful for you? Yes, exactly. That's right. Yeah. And I think we've often lost sight of the, the difference, the, the different forms of experience that come from lived experience versus having studied a thing for a very long time, for example. Yeah. Um, if you're talking about academic policies, so um, I think I, like yeah. I want to get back to like the hounding and whatnot, and and point out like again, this is almost all white people, all straight white cis people who do the hounding, like they think uh, probably on behalf of others, you know. Definitely. Oh, sorry. Hey, buddy, come on. It's just he's allowed. He's allowed. That's okay. He's allowed. Yeah, I, he, we don't mind. He's allowed to be part of the conversation. Not going to be discriminatory he has against cats. very strong opinions. Yeah, about exactly. Things. That's right. I will yeah. tell you. He wants like, his voice heard. He, oh boy. He, and he only has one voice. Oh God. <laughs> I believe someone just rang the doorbell. Oh. Go. I'm going to, I'm going to release <laughs> you soon. Go and see who it is. I swear to God, I usually live the life of a hermit. <laughs> You're so popular. Activity. This is the most activity in my house in a long time. That was actually just a delivery person. So, oh, okay. Anyway, I think I've made my point. I yes, think you, I, I think we're uh, we're sort of getting to a place where we see each other from where we're standing. Yeah, no, I think least. so. Can you can can you wrap by telling? I mean, because you were such an early adopter of Twitter and uh, so successful initially, what's going to happen? <laughs> what's going to become of Twitter? God, I hope that Elon Musk's, um, if he buys it, I hope that just hastens it demi its demise. Um, I feel like every new media platform does have about like a 10 year hegemony. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's time for something else, man. Um, like I appreciate Twitter now. Again, I don't think if you're looking to have a good faith conversation on Twitter, just you just go to your local coffee shop. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it, it's just not it's not wasn't actually built for that, you know, Um 
I mean, didn't it so, seem to be when you first got into it? Didn't it seem well, to be a place where you limited people, limited number of people on it? Um, it was before it kind of got. We had this, you know, growth in the memification of white supremacy. You know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it's not good for it now. Um, no. I'm actually thinking about starting a blog again. Ooh. I know, like go retro. Um. I hate newsletters, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Hate them. What's the I difference? Um, I mean, not li- I, I know technically what the difference is, but like what for you is the creative Well, difference? I hate newsletters me because the business model of newsletters, I think, is not sustainable. Um, there's a limit, right? Like uh, of how many newsletters a person can get. <laughs> and I subscribe to like a bunch of my friends' newsletters and I read them naming no names uh there are very few of them i read on a regular basis yeah right yeah there's just too much whereas a blog like you can see like oh that doesn't look that interesting oh that looks interesting right yes i'll read that right you're not messing up my inbox yeah with fucking and also i know from talking to substack substack demands their paid writers have to send out like three emails a week that's too much yeah who can do that and and your ideas will not always be good. <laughs> you know, you're, they just yeah. can't. This won't be. Um, I actually think there should be a, like a some kind of uh, official columnist uh, term limit situation. Because columnists <laughs> run out of ideas. And you don't have to go away forever, right? But you should have to go away for a little while. Maybe it's a paid thing. Maybe it's part of the contract. Because you'll be better when you come back, I swear. Yeah, you have to go on a sabbatical. You have to go on a year-long sabbatical, go mm. live among the people or something. Yeah, come, come back to Australia for a year and lie yes, on a beach. I would, I would love that. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, am I, sorry, I, I, did I answer the question? I hope you did it answer dies. the question. I you did answer the question. I'm going to let you go and let your dog out right. and run and play <laughs> and, uh, and go and collect all of your, all of your deliveries. I mean, do you think we got to a place where we understand each other? Yes, I do. Least? Okay. I, I, I do. think I, I see your point. I don't agree with a bunch of it. No, I mean, I think we disagree, yeah. but I think we get it. I mean, I think we okay. disagree in constructive ways, hopefully. But I think the core, I, for me, the 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 core kernel of agreement is there is a performative white liberalism that yes. steamrolls everything in front of it. Yes, and yes. your principal concern is that it steamrolls uh, the people who should be have it, who should have the microphone, who might be people who are living with disabilities or people of color. Uh, and whilst that is also a concern of mine, my concern is this larger elephant that that is in the room, which is the steamroller, of, which is the the reaction from the right to the to the ste- to it to and, the steamrolling of it and the. And, and I the think discussing the elephant so. makes it bigger. <laughs> right, right. I think that a lot of like you know the Fox News builds it. You know, like again, they wouldn't have programming if there wasn't a so-called debate about council culture, right? Um, I don't know if that, I don't know where mm. we can work together on this. Yeah. Um, I, I do think you're right. Like, I think I think we see each other and I, I understand what you're saying. I, my concern is just debating cancel culture. I'm not kind of entirely kidding about debating the elephant makes it worse. Yeah. You know? No, I know what you mean. I mean, I know what you mean that, that you know, there are, 
there are quote unquote left wing liberals who like spend all of their time talking about how illiberal the left is. Yeah. And before yeah. you know it, they've turned into Dave Rubin and you're like, hang on, what do you mean you were a liberal? <laughs> like, exactly. Empowered, or right. Lynn Greenwald, right? Right. Like, yeah. 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 And that's, that's a problem of its own, of its own. But the, but I don't think that the solution is to, f- I don't think it's an on off switch where you're either Dave Rubin or Glenn Greenwald or, we have to close it. We have to cover our ears and close our eyes and go, la, 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 la. There is no problem on the left. There is no problem on the left. Like yeah. there, ha- there has to be some way of conversing about it that's constructive. Can I leave you with a thought that maybe is kind of almost a cone considering Please. we're having a podcast yeah. here? One of, one of the lessons I feel like I've learned in this process of kind of figuring out whether or not I perform my politics or I do politics, if I can make the distinction. Hmm. Um, is realizing that not every conversation needs to be had in public and mm. it still counts as a conversation. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times the kinds of conversations you're talking about wanting to have are great conversations to have. And maybe they don't, but maybe we don't need to put on a panel Yeah. about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> That's right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because, yeah. like, like for, for instance, you know, I have finally learned when someone I I don't have as many conservative friends as I used to. Um, it's hard to be like the Trump thing. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> it became hard to overlook some certain things, you know. Well, um, I don't even call Trump supporters conservatives anyway. I mean, they're, they're yeah, reactionaries yeah, of some kind. I still have, but I have supporters, but not Trump yeah, supporters. I have learned if someone says something on Twitter that I find offensive, the best thing to do if I, someone I call a friend is not to tweet it to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. You know, it is to say, you know, I did you mean? Mm. Is that a thing that you meant to say? Look, if I, uh, if I could, uh, if I could personally meet every annoying uh, young liberal woke star and grab them by the scruff of the neck and go, "Look at what you're doing! You're only provoking the the, the elephant. You're only provoking the bear. Be a little bit more reasonable." Then I would. Uh, in the meantime, I'll try to keep a, a. I'll try to step gently. Fair point. Fair point. And uh, and walk quiet. Although you'd be amazed. If you do find someone that seems to stand out to you, like on Twitter or something, starting a conversation, a private conversation, you might yeah. change that person's life. Yeah, it's true. It's true. In I mean, a way that they're not going to listen to your podcast. Yeah. But they might listen to you. Yeah, it's true. They should also listen to my podcast. Sure. Yes. Do that of course. Well. Thank you for bearing with my dog. Thank you for bearing with me. And thank you for getting through the uncomfortable part where we were yelling at each other, too. Yeah, I like it. That's, uh, that's yeah. part of the show. It's been a right while. It's the show's name. It's on the, <laughs> it's on the box. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. I, was, you I had a really good time. Uncomfortable Conversations is produced by Stefan Postuma. Follow me, Josh Sepps, on Twitter and Instagram for all the latest. May your day be fruitful, your mind humble, your enemies generous, and your conversations perfectly, sparklingly, delectably uncomfortable.